So we're studying the life of Abraham during our Genesis study. Um, we're in chapter 14 today. I will say this. I'm going to pick it up in verse 8. I'm going to give you a synopsis of the first few verses. There's there's names there and kings there. And to, to paraphrase that a bit, there was five kings against four kings. And, and in this little battle... You've got the king over Sodom, and we know that Lot had already pitched his tent as far as Sodom. Uh, Keterlomer would probably have been the the chief king, if you want to if you want to use that as a title or or anything like that. But you got five kings against four kings, and you've got the the five kings are trying to break away, so to speak, from from Keterlomer and his kingdom. Uh, and so they rise up against him, and that includes Sodom and the king of Sodom. So we're going to pick it up in verse 8, but our, our characters, so to speak, in our, um, in our study today. Lot is going to come up. Abram, of course, is going to be present. Melchizedek, which we read at the beginning of the service. The scripture reading was from Hebrews chapter 7. So we read a good bit about Melchizedek. He is one of the most mysterious figures in scripture if you will not much is known about Melchizedek um, and we're not going to dive into a study of Melchizedek today there's a lot of different theories that are there's a lot of different um, approaches to Melchizedek that people have taken but for the sake of our uh, Genesis study and the sermon today we're just going to focus about the fact that Melchizedek does give us a direct connection to Christ right here in Genesis 14 we're going, to, we're going to consider how Melchizedek has a connection with the person of Christ. So he's going to be present. There's a, there's a blessing from Melchizedek to Abram. And Abraham does in fact give a tenth of the spoils to him. But those are our, those are our main characters in today's um, study. So we're going to pick it up in verse 18. Or sorry, verse 8 of chapter 14. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Admah, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bala, that is Zor, went out, and they joined battle in the valley of Siddim. With Keterlomer, king of Elam, Tidal, king of Goim, uh, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Arioch, king of Elisar. Four kings against five. Now the valley of Siddim was full of bitumen pits, and as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some fell into them, and the rest fled to the hill country. Now the hill country is going to come up later, a, uh, a bit later, uh, after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, Lot uh, and his daughters will end up in the hill country. But So do keep that in mind. But the rest fled to the hill country. So the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom and his possessions, and went their way. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram, the Hebrew, who was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, uh, the Amorite brother of Eshkel and of Aner. These were allies of Abram. When Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them and pursued them to Hobah, north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the possessions 
and also brought back his kinsman Lot with his possessions and the women and the people. After his return from the defeat of Keterlomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of, of Sheva, that is the king's valley, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor or creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Aner, Eshkel, and Mamre take their share. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we pray now as we come to the study of your word. God, that you would just give us wisdom and understanding that we would grow in our knowledge of who you are as you have revealed yourself from your word. God, that we would grow in our understanding of, of your great power and authority over all things. God, that we would grow in our wisdom and understanding of, of who we are as your people and your faithfulness to us your people. God, that we would understand and that we would see your, uh, that you are greater, that you have authority even over the, the kings and the leaders and the rulers uh, of earth. And God, that we would rest our souls, rest our lives in you through faith in Christ. And God, I just pray that you would uh, strengthen us, that you would encourage us, that you would bless us through the study of your word today. We pray that you would be glorified and that we will be drawn into a, a place of greater admiration and worship of you and of Christ our Lord. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the kings <clears throat> are at war. There's five kings that are trying to break away from four kings. Uh, we saw that in Sodom and Gomorrah and the other their allies. Uh, they were defeated by Keterlomer and his um, and his allies. And it's really almost a passing note, but we do read that Lot and his possessions were also taken. Uh, they were claimed uh, by Keterlomer, and then news gets back to Abram. So Abram, knowing that his kinsmen have been captured, uh, taken into captivity, so to speak, <clears throat> he gets his men together, 318. Now, we're not told how many men or, or anything that the other army had, but we do know that it's a, it's a collection of kings. Abram has 318 men. We are told exactly how many men he has. So on paper, if you say, well, there's a, there's a group of kings and their people. And then there's this guy over here who's got 318 men. And this guy with 318 men, he's going to go and he's going to attack these, 
groups, this group of kings, you would think, well, on paper, I kind of know how that's going to play out. Know who's going to win that fight. Know who's going to win that battle. But Abram decides he's going to go by night and, and surround them and, uh, his men attack and they are victorious. And they take great possessions. They take, they take a great spoil. But the key thing is Lot, um, Lot, his possessions, and the women and the people. So that's, that's the key prize. That's what, that's what brought Abram into this fight to begin with, was he knew that his kinsman Lot had been taken. But I want us to, to look briefly at this, this battle, this, uh, this siege that Abram plots to go and get Lot back with just 318 men. And just very simply put, I just want to say this. This is the, this is one of many, many accounts in the Old Testament where you could say God's people or God's person with his men in this case, but, but God's people win a battle or they are victorious in something that they had no business being victorious in. When looking at it from a worldly vantage point, looking at it, you know, on paper, so to speak, if we were to map out a battle plan or, or if we were to, to, to weigh the balances, who's going to come out on top? Who's going to win this battle? There's many, many accounts in Scripture where God's people win a battle, win a war, overtake a land that they had, worldly speaking, they had no business winning. They had no business gaining the victory. And this is yet a simple but profound reminder that God is in full control and has authority and He is greater than the kings of the earth, the rulers of the earth, the princes of the earth. What God says and what God has willed to do will stand. It does not matter the strength of man. It does not matter the strategies of man. It does not matter if God's people are outnumbered. It doesn't matter if God's people are the weaker army or, or anything of that nature. No man, no group of men, no nation, no kings can stand against the power and the authority of our God. Our God. The creator of the heavens and the earth. Our great and holy God. Who has called us sinners to himself. The great God who, who called Abram for his own possession. And gave Abram great promises. Has full authority and full reign over all of creation. And again I say. That as we consider the greatness, the supremacy, the sovereignty of God, that should give us great comfort and rest for our souls, in our mind. If we ever, in life, I know that it's easy to, some things we go through in life, we feel like it's an obstacle, we feel like we're at war mentally, emotionally. There is nothing that can come against us in this life that is greater than God. That is able to, to thwart the will of God in our lives individually. And then when you think about us as, as the body of Christ. There is no enemy. There is no strategy of the devil. There is no strategy of, of Satan. There is no scheme or wiles of the devil. 
There's no earthly kingdom, there's no earthly power that is strong enough, that is great enough to stay or stop the hand of God. What God has purposed and what God has willed will come to pass. And we can take great confidence in that. We've talked about this before uh, at a different time, but but in reality, for every single believer, we we do need to come into the knowledge where we really understand and we really believe that there is nothing that can happen to us. There is nothing that can that can come into our lives that is not ultimately a part of God's plan, and that God does not have full authority and full control and full reign over in our lives. Again, this is one of many accounts in Scripture where you would say, "There's no way. There's no way that Abram, with his three hundred, a little over three hundred men, there's no way they're going to be able to take out all those kings and actually get Lot back." There's no way that Jonathan and the armor bearer are going to be able to be victorious and accomplish their mission. There's no way that the walls of Jericho are going to fall. And God's people are going to be able to overtake that city just by walking around the walls. There's no way that the walls of Jericho are going to fall just because God's people are walking around. That makes no sense. That's not even how you fight a battle. There's no way that God that God's people are going to get out of Egypt just by God sending one man in there to say, let my people go. That's not how any of this works. The Egyptians, the most powerful people on earth, there's no way that they're just going to let all of the Hebrew people go. There's no way that a little shepherd boy can kill this giant that everybody else is scared of and fearful of, who's defeating everybody and mocking God. There's no way that a little shepherd boy with a sling and some stones is going to be able to take out this giant that's ruining everybody's lives. There's no way that's going to happen. There's no way that three three boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, there's no way that the three of them are going to have the strength not to bow down to the idol that everybody is commanded to bow down to. And there's certainly no way that they're going to be able to survive the fiery furnace. There's just no way. And there is certainly no way that wretched sinners can overcome sin And death. That's too great of a foe. It's too great of a battle. It can't be done. Except for the fact that the walls of Jericho did fall. Except for the fact that Jonathan and his armor bearer were successful. Except for the fact that God did redeem his people out of Egypt. Regardless of what Pharaoh had to say about it. Just another note on that. This is a little sidetrack. But now that I said no matter what Pharaoh thought he could do about it. God even told Pharaoh, for this very purpose I've raised you up so that I might display my power. God was in full reign of that entire situation. Except for the fact that Goliath did fall. Goliath was killed by a little shepherd boy. Except for the fact that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they did not bow. And they did not die. They were not consumed in the fiery furnace. And except for the fact that sin and death have been conquered. For us as believers here today, we know that through Christ and His sacrifice, we are 
more than conquerors through him. What exactly did he conquer? Sin and death. Too great of a foe. It can't be done. Can't be overcome. But it has been overcome. That serpent, that serpent in the garden can't be defeated. Too great of a foe. Too clever. Too deceptive. Too strong. Except for the fact that God said plainly his head would be crushed and his head was crushed. Sin and death have been defeated. This is our God. By the way, that's not an extent, that, that's not an all-inclusive list. Like that's not an exhaustive list. There's other battles that we could have brought up. Joseph, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery by his brothers, rose to power in Egypt, falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, forgotten about in prison, finally comes back again. Then he becomes second in power in Egypt. None of that should have ever happened on paper. You thought, There's no way that it's going to work out that way. There's just no way. Daniel purposing in his heart that he wouldn't defile himself with the king's food. Daniel being thrown into a lion's den. There's no way he's going to survive that. Hungry lions, human being, donezo. Except for the fact that he did make it out of there. There's no way that a people who are enslaved in bondage to sin could ever be set free. It's too great of a foe through Christ alone. Through the blood of Christ, the redemption that is in Christ, sinners set free, more than conquerors through Him, set free from the power of sin and death. So, don't miss that. Yes, this is just a brief account. The kings got into a fight a lot. Uh, Lot was taken captive. Abram takes his 318 men and, and in a successful and gets Lot and his possessions and the women and the people back. But do not miss that this is just one of many. Time and time and time and time and time again in Scripture, we are reminded, if we would just think about these things as we read, we are reminded over and over and over again, God is greater. God is in control. God has full reign. God is sovereign. God is over all of this. God is greater. God is greater. And the more that we remind ourselves of that, the more firm in our faith that we will be and the less fearful we'll be, the less anxious we will be over things, the less that we will worry and the more confident we will be in our faith that God is God. God has called me to himself and there is nothing that can happen to me without God first ordaining that it be that way or that it does come into my life. And there is no enemy or no foe on this side of heaven that God is not greater than. And that should give us a more sure and a more firm faith. We also see, uh, in a way, just briefly, I'll make, I'll make a little note here. In a way, we, have, we, we do see a, a small picture of, of redemption, if you will. Lot is Abram's kinsman. Lot is taken into captivity. Through Abram's effort, through Abram's fighting, through through Abram's um, faithfulness to his kinsmen, but through Abram's efforts, his work, his accomplishments, Lot is set free. Lot is redeemed. Lot is uh, saved out of that captivity. Nothing that Lot did. Lot is just the recipient of something that 
Abram did for him. Now we come to the aftermath. Our mysterious person of Melchizedek. Which by the way, again, we're not going to get into it this morning. But if you want to do um, a Bible study on this character. uh, uh, Just a study of the different theories that have been brought up with Melchizedek. It is an interesting study to, to get into. But at the end of the day, even if you do that study, let me just go ahead and tell you this. There's just very, very little that we know about Melchizedek. That we know for certain about Melchizedek. What we can know for sure is that we're told in Hebrews 7 that Jesus is, is a priest after the in the order of Melchizedek. So there is a connection to Christ. That is what we need to focus on. Now, again, if you want to do that study, those things are fun. Those things are interesting. One theory that I came across that I will share with you is that some people have uh, said that perhaps Melchizedek was Shem. Ham, Shem, and Japheth, Noah's sons. Um, Shem being the one that received a blessing could have later become Melchizedek. Now that's interesting. Interesting. Here's the thing though. Nobody knows Melchizedek's lineage. Nobody knows his heritage. So that pretty much does away with the fact that he could have been Shem because we know that Shem came from Noah. But like I said, it's interesting. When you do a study like that that's interesting, you've got to focus on the fact that, especially with the person of Melchizedek, there's not a lot that we know for certain. So focus on what we can know for sure. Melchizedek does in fact point us to the person and the superiority uh, of Jesus Christ. But let's read this section again before we dive into that. After his return from the defeat of Keterlomer and the kings who were with him, uh, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of, of Sheva, that is the king's valley, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now, Salem could have been a primitive uh, name uh, or a precursor to Jerusalem, but Salem, he brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of the Most High God, and he blessed Abram and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor or creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High who has delivered your enemies into your hand. So what we do see is there is this priest of God Most High. And again, he is mysterious. If you, if you think into this, you could say, well, if Abram was called by God and God is making of Abram a great nation and there, there isn't even a, a priesthood yet. There's no Levitical priest. We haven't even gotten to that part yet. How is there already a priest of the Most High God? You start to ask these questions and you say, oh, Okay, then this Melchizedek guy, he is he is kind of mysterious. There's a lot of questions that are going to have to remain unanswered. We can only go off of what we have from Scripture. Melchizedek was priest of the Most High God. He was present. King of Salem. His name translated King of Righteousness, King of Peace. Pointing to precursor of Christ. But he comes out and he blesses Abram. And notice what he said. Blessed be Abram by God most high. Possessor or creator of heaven and earth. God is glorified as who he is. He is the creator and the possessor of heaven and earth. He alone is God. I think when we started, it is really good, Ren, I agree. 
When we started this study, I believe in Genesis, when we were going through the creation account, but, but even before we opened the book of Genesis, three words that I gave you guys, and these are, these are some of the most powerful words. Again, if we would just know them and believe them and understand the gravity of the statement, it will really help us get a firm grasp on life, a firm grasp on Scripture, Three simple words. God is God. God is God. You could even shorten that to just two simple words. God is. And if God is, then that, sh- that ought to shape our entire existence. That ought to shape our worldview. That ought to shape how we raise our families. That ought to shape how we worship. God is. Frames everything else in all existence. Because God is, everything in life has order, has purpose, has meaning. Why? Because not only God is, but God has spoken. And because God has spoken, we know what He expects from His creation. More specifically, namely, we know what He expects from His people. Now at this point in time, in the genesis of things, even based upon what they had at this time, which was not the canon of Scripture, which was not even the Old Testament, Based upon what they had to go on at this time, which really up to this point was really just creation, a flood, and and a brief period of time after the flood. And now we're here. Just based upon that knowledge alone, Melchizedek blesses Abram by God Most High, a blessing from God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And he praises him, and he gives him the credit, he acknowledges that This God Most High is the creator of heaven and of earth. He is the possessor of heaven and of earth. He is. He reigns. He has the authority over all things. He is why we are here. Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Now, we as human beings, let's put ourselves in Abram's shoes. We might think, whew, that was good. Came with a plan. I had my trained men. We were successful. All right, good day. And if somebody comes up and says, Abram, you did great, man. That was awesome how you got Lot back and everything. You say, yeah, well, we just worked hard. We did this. Every All credit for the victory in battle was just swept away from Abram. And, and I don't think that Abram was looking for credit. But I want us to understand What that phrase means. Melchizedek is making it clear. Making it plain. The only reason that Abram was victorious. Was because God delivered the enemy. Into his hand. Abram's victory had nothing to do with Abram. It had everything to do with God. Any victory 
any good thing at all in our life has nothing to do with us. And it has everything to do with God. The creator of heaven and of earth. The sovereign of all creation. And here in this moment it is made clear. Blessed be Abram by God most high creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And you can go back to that that list that I mentioned earlier. Why did the walls of Jericho fall? Because that's what God intended. How on earth was a little shepherd boy able to defeat Goliath? Because it wasn't had nothing to do with David. It wasn't the shepherd boy. It was God. How is it that Joseph sur- survived the attack of his brothers and he had, he he survived in Egypt and not only survived but he thrived and even when he was thrown in prison and he was forgotten about in prison. Uh, how in the world did he rise up to be the second in power in Egypt? Because that is what God had intended. That was God's will. That was God's plan. How in the world did all of the Hebrews receive their redemption, their 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 salvation, their freedom out of bondage to the Egyptians? How in the world did the entire nation receive freedom out of Egypt? Even even when there was a Red Sea on one side and the Egyptians behind them, how in the world did they ever get freedom? How in the world were they able to break free from the power of Egypt? It had nothing to do with them. It had nothing to do with Moses. It had everything to do with God who is faithful. With God who is faithful. Creator of heaven and earth. He has called us. He has saved us. He will accomplish all that He intends. There is none who can stay His hand. There is none who can thwart His plans. We can be confident. We can be confident that our God is a faithful God who finishes what He begins and that no one can interfere. God is a God who at times He delivers all of our enemies into our hands. But ultimately, God is a God that that we know that through salvation, all of our enemies, all of our foes have been defeated in the person and the finished work of Christ Jesus. How did we ever escape bondage to sin? How did we escape our slavery to sin? How did we escape our deadness in sin? Who redeemed us? Who set us free from our our slavery and our captivity? To sin. It had nothing to do with us. It had everything to do. With God who is faithful. Who sent his son. To die a sinner's death upon the cross. To be risen the third day. To set the captives free. To redeem us. To free us. From the sway, the power, and the penalty of sin and death. Our salvation had nothing to do with us. Had everything to do with God. Our victory, our victories in life. Nothing to do with us. Everything to do with God. And here, you, this is very brief. But just to use this word, if you will. This is a 
This is a worship service that is happening between Melchizedek and Abram right here. This is worship. Blessed be Abram by God Most High, Creator of heaven and earth. Blessed be God. And why are we praising Him? Why are we giving blessing? Because He delivered your enemies into your hand. He is the reason you got the victory today. And let us praise His name. Let us worship Him. We read from Hebrews 7 earlier. One of the key phrases there was that the inferior was blessed by the superior. Melchizedek here is superior to Abram. How do we know that? Because Abram ended up giving a tenth to Melchizedek. That shows that even Abram acknowledged that there's a, there's a superiority here. But we don't know where Melchizedek came from. We don't know his lineage. We just know that he was priest of the Most High God. We also know that he certainly wasn't of the priesthood, uh, the Levitical priesthood. And as was read in Hebrews 7, you could very well say that Levi himself gave tithes to Melchizedek because Levi was still in the loins of Abraham. So every single priest that stood in the line of the Levitical priesthood gave tithes to Melchizedek. What does that prove? Melchizedek is greater than the Levitical priesthood. For the Jewish person, this would have been a reminder, this would have been proof that Jesus is greater than the priesthood. Jesus is greater than the sacrifices offered up by the priest. Jesus is greater than the law, the code of the law. But it also shows Jesus is greater than Abraham. Now for the Jewish person, that's a big problem. You say, even, even Abraham gave tithes to someone? Even Abraham gave tithes to Melchizedek? Well, that would mean that Melchizedek was greater than Abraham. Yes. In the New Testament, Jew, the, the Jewish leaders often said, we have Abraham as our father. We have Abraham as our father. As... As many great accomplishments as we're going to read about in the life of Abraham and later on Moses and David. And as we study these things, none of those men can lead us to the Father. Our Sunday school lesson, we talked about that Jesus is, is the door. He is the gate to the sheepfold. David is not. Abraham is not. Moses is not. The priests are not. No kings are. Christ alone. No one gets to the Father except through Christ. Oh, but none was greater than Abram. Abram was the first one. Abram is the one who God called to Himself and said, I've, I've called you, I've, I'm taking you to a land that I've prepared for you, and I'm going to make a great nation out of you. Abram was Jewish person, Hebrew person number one. He is the Father of us all. And if Abram is your hope, you're dead. Now, none of us are, are of Jewish descent. But we still need to understand the same. The greatest person of faith that you can think of, the greatest preacher that you've ever heard, the greatest Christian that you've ever known, they can offer you, they themselves can offer you no hope of salvation. There is only one who is greater than any man who has ever lived. There is only one who is greater than any 
religious zealots that have ever lived. There is only one who is greater than the priesthood. There is only one who is greater than even Abram. There is only one who is superior and has preeminence over all things. And it is Jesus Christ. And unless we know the one who is superior. Unless we have bowed the knee and acknowledged that he is superior, that he is Lord over all. Then we are still dead in our trespasses and sin. Much has been hypothesized about Melchizedek. Much has been theorized about Melchizedek. But again, I want us to focus on what we can know for sure. Melchizedek points us to the person of Christ. As confirmed in the book of Hebrews later on in Scripture. Christ is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And again, it is through Christ that we draw near. Not only that, through Christ and His sacrifice... Christ is able to save to the uttermost. Have we drawn near to the Father through Christ alone? Have we rested our hope and our souls in the person and the finished work of Jesus Christ who saves to the uttermost? Do you wish to be saved from your sin? Do you wish to be set free from the bondage of sin? Christ alone, your only hope. His work has already been completed. His work is done. And it is through faith in Him and Him alone that we are saved. The last thing that I'll mention. The king of Sodom, verse 21. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God, most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. Now, to lift your hand is like to take an oath. May I never. I swear to never, I take an oath to never take anything from your hand. Not even a thread or a sandal strap. Not even... A tiny fragment from your hand. And here's why. I don't even want there to be an opportunity for you to say that you have made me rich. All of the glory. All of the praise. All of the credit to God. And I'm not even going to leave an opportunity for a rumor to get started. For gossip to spread. That it was because of the king of Sodom that Abram. Is rich. Let it be known. That it is because of God. The creator and possessor of heaven and earth. It is only because of God. That Abram. Is rich. That Abram has received the victory. That Abram has received the spoils. So Abram firmly rejects the author of the king of Sodom. He says, I will take nothing but what the young men have have already eaten. And the share of the men who went with me. Let Aner, Eshkel, and Mamre take their share. 
At this point, you could say Abram gives us a, an example of what it looks like when somebody is to the place or, the, or they have a conviction in their life, they have a, uh, they have a firm conviction in their life that we don't need the things of the world. We don't, we don't need the riches or the spoils of the world. We have all that we need in Christ Jesus. We have all that we need from the hand of God. What He has given us. What He has supplied us with is all we need to be satisfied. And we don't even want there to be a risk to think that the world or people of the world or things of the world have supplied us with the things that we have. We don't, want, we don't even want there to be a chance for people to think, oh, well, so-and-so did this for them. Or, oh, that... that 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 group did this. It, no. We've got a firm conviction that we don't seek the riches or the pleasures of this world. We won't accept the riches or the pleasures of this world. Because we have all that we need. And what God has supplied us with. And we have faith that in the days to come, He will continue to supply our every need. And a firm rejection. We don't need the riches of the world. The the cares, the pleasures of this world. We do not need to desire them. What's taking place here makes perfect sense. For this king to come to him and say, hey, here, take your share, take your portions. That's normal. Abram had just rescued this king. And defeated. Abram had just defeated the guy that this king couldn't defeat. So he says, he says, take this, take this, take this. Well, that's normal. It's a gift. It's a tribute. And Abram says, absolutely not. Absolutely not. It's not going to happen. <clears throat> have we, have we come to the place where we're, we're not interested in what the world has to offer us? We're not interested in, in the riches and the pleasures of the world. We're not interested in having the possessions of the world. That we are fully satisfied and fully content with what God has already given us. And what he will continue to provide for us. That we have no desire for attachments with the things of the world. With the possessions of the world. With the riches of the world. Have we come to the place where we can say, you've got nothing to offer me. And I will not receive... Even the, even the least of what you have to offer. We are told elsewhere in Scripture, of course, not to lay up for ourselves treasures on earth, but to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust can destroy. Where your, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We're told to love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. This world and all that is in it is passing away. We're also told that no no man can serve two masters. But last week, towards the end, we, we read from 1 Peter chapter 2 and we were reminded that much like Abram, once we were not a people, but now we are His people. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. And we are a we are a holy people. We are a people set apart for His own possession. Set apart for His own glory. And we are to abstain from the passions of the flesh. We are to keep our conduct honorable. So even, even if those around us try to speak evil of us, they, they've got nothing to say. 
We are to be a holy and a set apart people. For his glory. It is God who has called us to himself. It is God who has saved us. Now Abram offered a tenth of the spoils to Melchizedek. But for us as believers. If we have received eternal life. Then then our response back to that. Is we lay down our lives. As a living sacrifice. To him. That we offer up praise and worship. That is acceptable in his sight. We have been redeemed so that we can proclaim the excellencies of him who has transferred us from the domain of darkness into his marvelous light. And we cannot and we will not do that if we have a heart that is desirous for the things of the world, the riches of the world and the possessions of the world. We are to be a set apart people. So here in chapter 14, just just through this, we are reminded of God, God and His greatness. Melchizedek points us to the person of Christ and His finished work and that, that only through Christ are we able to draw near to God and only Christ is able to save to the uttermost. And we see a firm commitment from Abram to abstain from the riches and the treasures of this world that were offered to him. The victory, the spoils, further spoils of victory. He turns them aside. And so we see a full commitment and a full trust in God. And we can ask ourselves, have have we come to that point? Do we have a heart that is hungry? A heart that thirsts for righteousness? A heart that is detached from the cares on the riches and the possessions of this world. And if the answer to that is no. The solution is simply. Repent. And turn away. If we who profess to be Christians. Who profess to be God's people. Have been distracted and tied up with the cares of the world. And we we have hearts that are pursuing those things. You repent. God is faithful and just to forgive. If you say well that's, that's not my problem. My problem is the whole Coming to Jesus to draw near to the Father. Jesus saves to the uttermost. But I'm still in my sin. And I acknowledge that. I acknowledge I'm a sinner. In need of salvation. I know that I'm guilty. Jesus saves to the uttermost. And that's what I'm in need of. Believe. Repent. And believe. Salvation. Is by grace alone. The fact that anybody could ever come to the conclusion that I'm guilty and I'm in need of salvation is because the grace of God has been poured out upon them and their eyes have been opened and they have they've received eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that rejoices to hear the truth of the gospel. So by grace, and it is through faith, faith in Christ and His finished work upon the cross. Simply, Tying this to our study of the life of Abraham at this point. Abram has been called. Him and Lot have separated. After he and Sarah went to Egypt. And he came up with his plan. They get through that. Him and Lot separate. And now he has rescued Lot. And here again throughout Abram's life so far. God has been faithful. God will continue to be faithful. But let us today not only continue to consider God's faithfulness in the life of Abraham. But continue to consider God. 
and his full reign over all things as possessor of heaven and earth, that Melchizedek points us to Christ and let us rest our hope in Christ and his finished work. And may God grant to us hearts that hunger and thirst for righteousness and that abstain from the cares of this world. Let us pray.